In summing up, it's the constitution, it's Mabo, it's justice, it's law, it's the vibe, and uh, no, that's it, it's the vibe. That was sensational. Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is the FOMO Show. Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is the podcast where you'll hear about blockchain, cryptocurrency, emerging markets, and future tech in relatively plain English. We'll help you stay across what's going on so you don't get the fear of missing out. So you can find us at FOMO.show or by searching the FOMO show on your podcast platform of choice. So what are we going to talk about this episode, mate? We're going to be covering a bunch of cool things. Um, a few different news articles that are worth listening to, uh, including uh, a super cool hypersonic engine. Um, IOTA, the what is it? Trans- the Tangle. The Tangle. <laughs> the IOTA platform is integrating with electric vehicles, which is pretty exciting. And there's going to be a point and there's a point and click interface for decentralized autonomous organizations that's going to be worth listening to. Yeah, yeah. And then after that, we're going to do a deep dive into NEM, which is a a bit of a black horse when it comes to enterprise adoption and integration. So we're going to really dig into that and see what all the fuss is about. Exciting. Uh, And we're going to touch on Blockgrain, um, who are going through their ICO at the moment. And we're looking forward to an interview with them um, later next month. Mm. We'll also look at privacy and security like we normally do. And we're also going to check in with our intrepid reporter, Jordan Cronier. He's back on the the radar yeah he seems to be seems to be in touch so uh looking forward to that mate what have you been up to last in the last couple of weeks i've uh, i've been up to a lot i've just recently wound down my full-time employment and began self-employment on a part-time basis uh, as well building block sense which i've talked about before really exciting stuff yeah yeah so it's 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 been really good been, just been working on getting a lot of things online on the website there's a strategic prospectus coming soon that people can go check out for free there i've had a, an advanced <laughs> view of that it's very very exciting so Subscribe to block-sense.io. Really recommend it. That's uh, Matt's new uh, side, say side project. Yeah, yeah, side project. Very moment. exciting stuff. Mm. Some cool blog posts in there as well. You were writing some uh, submissions to the Australian Tax Office. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, anyone that knows me knows I whinge about uh, tax and government a lot. And I kind of – the ATO actually – they do a really good thing sometimes. They put out the call for people to make submissions. and They call it a let's talk. Uh-huh. Um now, whether they take any of it on board remains to be seen, but I kind of figured that if I'm going to spend all this time whinging about taxes and the way that crypto has been treated so far, yep. which has just been very simplistic mm-hmm. by the Australian Tax Office, I really needed to put in some submissions uh, for that. So, I got them out. It was uh, very last minute because it's, it's, it's all been pretty bu- busy <laughs> lately. But uh, yeah, got them out and you can – we'll put the link in the show notes if, if you do want to go have a look mm-hmm. at them. Um, hopefully, they summarize a lot of what – the Australian crypto public has been thinking about mm. the way that crypto has been treated so far, mm. which hasn't – it's just been very simplistic, uh, not very well thought out, and there's just so much complexity to the blockchain space that's just not really being considered by our legislators. So, yeah. yeah. 
What have you been up to, mate? Hey, I've been I've been preparing for a road trip. Actually, um, I'm traveling over a part of the country, to, so I'm going to be away from my computer for about a week. So I actually stopped up, stocked up on some some more cryptocurrency this afternoon, just because I was. I didn't want to wait a week before doing it, so that was exciting. And um, and yes, yeah, so I've just been packing and buying energy drink, and <laughs> that was basically it. Setting playlists. And, oh, it's yeah. been. It's I'm I'm pretty excited for the drive. Yeah, like in Australia, if we want to, like if, for example, where you your parents live, your mm. folks live, yeah. is a long way away from here. Mm. Um, and if you looked at the map. You'd think it was only a couple of hours, but it's more like eight or nine hours away, isn't it? Yeah, if it's like ten, I think yeah, it's about ten hours door yep. to door. But um, oh, I can't do that all in one, so I'm gonna spread it out, and um, I've just got some comedy playlists, <laughs> some uh, some random bits of music, and it should be a good trip. What uh, what crypto did you buy, mate? Oh, I bought Zcash. Okay. Zcash, yeah. Um, I've just. I just wanted to be stocking up on privacy coins. We talked about them in, was it episode nine? I think it was episode nine. And I don't know. I've just been thinking if there's anything I'm buying and holding, yep. obviously not investment advice. We'll get onto that in a minute. Mm. But it's privacy coins for me personally. Mm. Um, so, yeah, exciting times. Speaking of which, is this investment advice? Yeah, so this is not investment, legal, financial, or any type of advice. Uh, this is simply us hosting a show, talking about what we enjoy. If you take anything we say on board, you do so at your own risk. We're not professionals, or if we are, we're not acting in a professional capacity mm-hmm. when we do this podcast. New cryptos are popping up every day. Uh, we're not saying you should buy anything at all. Full disclosure, we're personally invested in different cryptocurrencies, some of which we talk about on the show. But if we talk about a project, it definitely doesn't mean you should buy mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So, do your research. Never invest more than you can afford to lose. And most of all, avoid the fear of missing out, which is what we named this podcast after. That's right. Show. If you're new around here or new to crypto, check out our Blockchain Basics series. It starts from episode two and continues till about episode eight. It'll give you some grounding in the fundamentals and it'll help you understand what on earth we're talking about. Wherever you're joining us from, absolute pleasure having you here. We've heard a few different stories of uh, where people are listening in from. We've had a listener who makes the FOMO show part of their commute, um, which is pretty exciting. There was another uh, another one who got in touch saying he was renovating his bathroom uh, and someone else who uh, from the UK who was pumping iron while uh, listening to the FOMO show. So, so exciting. Thank you for joining yeah. us. Yeah, thanks for joining. Uh, drop in our Slack and, and say hello uh, if, if you're keen for a bit of discussion. Yeah, look, we just love hearing what you're doing when you're listening to the show. So, definitely, if you get a sec, reach out to us. It, uh, it really makes our day. Mm-hmm. And if you want to be part of the show, why not send us a voice recording? Um, you can send us just like, just record a uh, voice message on your phone and ping it over to us in an email, um, in an MP3 away file. You can email it to us at show at protonmail.com. Pretty exciting stuff. Mm. Right, let's get into the news. So, what's what's the first item on the agenda today, mate? Mate, there was a really cool set of stats that came out of Japan. It was from Japan's financial services agency. Um, just like a really small little tidbit, but they released their domestic cryptocurrency trading stats. Um, and according to their data gathered from 17 different exchanges in Japan, Japan has at least 3.5 million... Wow individuals who are trading with cryptocurrencies as actual assets. Yeah, so among them, crypto investors in their 20s, 30s, and 40s 
made up the majority of the share. Uh, they accounted for 28, 34, and 22% respectively of the total crypto trader population in Japan. That is wild. It's huge. You turn, and, and so, we're talking about so 3.5 million individuals in a country of about 120 million or 130 million, I think, which, I mean, that's pretty good for- yeah. For, for something that's still meant to be not really mainstream, yeah. um, that's that's a lot of interest. So, in comparison, the financial regulator also disclosed in the latest report that the number of traders investing in cryptocurrency margins and futures is almost 150,000 by the end of March. So, that's just not putting in your, your simple investments. That's, that's leveraging things mm. and, and using a lot of techniques that are used on more complex financial markets. Mm. Next piece, really cool company. Um, so, Boeing Horizon X have invested another £26.5 million, so uh, 60000 US dollars, not sure, um, into a company called Reaction Engines. Now, this is a British company which is on track for a 2020 hypersonic jet engine test. Really, really interesting stuff. I think I heard about them a couple of years ago when BAE Systems, who are the UK's largest weapons manufacturer, um, they invested a bunch of money into them. And basically, they're making this... It's like a hybrid engine, between, which is halfway between a jet and a rocket. And it basically, it's capable of achieving Mach 5 in air-breathing mode and Mach 25 in rocket mode for spaceflight. Wow. And basically, they're just making... A really good heat exchanging technology that basically stops the components from overheating so you can get more performance out of it really interesting stuff so one to watch Sabre um, which is the engine and it's created by this company called Reaction Engines we're seeing a few of these companies pop up now aren't we that the ones that are wanting to essentially use the next layer of space up from mm. where the, the airplanes fly because the moment you get up higher like up, up around there you can circumnavigate the world a lot quicker, mm, you know, mm. if, especially if you're moving at the kind of speeds they're moving. And you, I, th- I think I saw something, it was like they were one of the companies was aiming to have a flight from Sydney to London take two hours. Oh, and, yeah. and they're aiming for like three or four years from now being able to do it, which is nuts. That's keen. You know, and you, wow. th- you think of what that would do to global trade if someone can get from one end of the world to the other mm. in, in that shorter period of time. The more companies we see taking this up, the, the better it's going to be because they're going to force everyone's prices down. So, Tiny little tidbit. Um, LG, the South Korean um, electronics giant, um, paired up with an Italian furniture maker to build a smart sofa. The register who wrote the article described it as creating the internet of furniture, which is quite mm, exciting. Right. Basically, you'd sit on... This um uh, uh, this piece of furniture and it would turn on your TV. It would activate the TV and the lights would be adjusted and yeah, very kind of random but kind of cool at the same time. Getting more tech into furniture, which is cool. So what's this news about India, mate? Yeah, so they announced, according to the Washington Post, a program to give half a billion citizens free health insurance. So wow. suddenly, that would become the largest government-funded healthcare system in the world. How nuts is that? Wow! Now, under the plan, which is nicknamed Modicare after um, <laughs> the country's PM, the government's going to cover healthcare costs of up to almost eight thousand US dollars for a hundred million poor families, um, and they're going to create you know a bunch of health and wellness centres as well. But absolutely crazy stuff. So mm. India, like continues to grow and yeah a lot like from from people i've spoken to who are who are from india modi is he's a little controversial in some groups but overall he seems to be really well really loved by 
at least to the citizens who are living abroad who I've come across. But mm. um, really interesting. On another little note, um, Sputnik News also reported that um, Modi's also inaugurated the first phase of the Bastar Internet Scheme, which is consisting of 40,000 kilometer a 40,000 kilometer network of fiber optic cables across a bunch of these districts, which is going to be amazing for the country. Mm. Now, there are already a few different big data centers in, in India, um, but this is just getting more and more exciting. You know, just getting India online, getting them really high speed. Mm. This country is so exciting to watch. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So there's, there's really two sides of this coin, isn't there? There's the, there's the fact that if all this stuff goes through, India is going to vault itself up the, mm. the developing world mm. by a pretty significant margin. I mean, just looking at this, this healthcare says that Previously, about 10% of people had access to this kind of healthcare. Right. Under this new plan, it'll be about 45%, which is massive, especially yeah. if you understand India and like the, the caste systems there and the, it seems like this Modi guy is trying to cut across everything. The flip side is, mate, I don't know how they're going to afford this. Yeah. You know, knowing the issues that are pretty prevalent in India already is economically, I just wonder where they're going to get all the money for this. Mm. I guess in some ways, you know, health should be an overarching sort mm. of priority, but- yeah, the money's got to come from somewhere. Yeah. But the economic benefits of a healthy population yeah, that's very are true. going to be huge. That's very true. But that's a great point. And India's still growing really quickly, isn't it? <sighs> India, like it's not like China where the growth rate stagnated. Like they're up, they're well over a billion now and they they don't seem to be slowing down. Yeah, no time soon. Yeah. And so, like I, I just need to get more invested in different <laughs> index funds that are in there because it seems super interesting. Mm. Well, you've got an Indian car now, don't you? Yeah, I do actually. I drive a, a Mahindra, uh, which is probably the best car I've ever had, the only car I've ever had. But, um, mate, the. This, so Joe's putting his money where his mouth is. Oh, mate, I absolutely love this car. And it's made from like all of the cheapest, all of the cheapest metal, the cheapest plastics, the cheapest everything. But it is just an amazing car. It looks good, man. Oh, I'm- and it, it's designed for to, to last on Indian roads. Mm. And considering we've got fewer potholes here, yep. amazing. Yep. Can't get enough of this car. <laughs> Just need to change the oil. So another bit of news. Uh, there's a, there's a website called Earn.com, and it's it's been around for a little while. And essentially, what it allows you to do is to earn Bitcoin by replying to emails and completing tasks. So you can either keep the money or donate it to charity. But it seems to have been designed for people that are very time poor, mm-hmm. quite popular, to be able to monetize access to themselves, mm-hmm. which is quite a novel solution to the problem of once people hit a certain amount of popularity, they just can't keep up with mm-hmm. all the emails and all the requests and it makes sense to try and put a monetary value on it. Mm. Um, but Coinbase has just, just bought the site. Mm. So it's really interesting. I mean, just browsing the site, like you can, if you're popular, getting paid to receive messages. But for example, you can uh, contact one of the Winklevoss twins, Cameron Winklevoss. I think you can contact both of them on this platform, actually, mm. for 20 US dollars. And you only yeah. pay if uh, you get a response. Wow. How can you do that? We could just drop him a message say, hey, dude. Good to see you. And just, I don't know. It would just, that, that's so interesting. Like, so there are quite a few big What names do you on think there. about Indian cars? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But <laughs> Coinbase are saying to flex their muscles, aren't they? Because the, the, mm. they've, they've made so much money in the last <laughs> six or so months. Uh, and now we're seeing them purchase all these companies and, and really start to flesh out their offering. I don't know how to feel about that yet. Well, they just we'll took see. $15 off me this afternoon. Yeah. So, I mean. <laughs> How much worse can it get? <laughs> yeah. Bring on Robin Hood. Mate, another another interesting piece came out of Altcoin today. Um, 
how do you pronounce that company name? Is it Huawei? Huawei. 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 Wow. Um, I've never known how to pronounce that. That's tricky. They've announced a Hyperledger-powered blockchain um, service platform. So they're a mobile phone company, electronics, servers, infrastructure. They do them. They're kind of like the IBM of China. They're everywhere now, though. Like a lot of a lot of our pro- products here. I think when we signed up to Internet not that long ago mm. at a at a different place we were living at, and the modem that came with it mm. was Huawei. Right. As a Huawei modem, it, it worked great, and you see a lot of people now using their phones. Yeah, uh, they've put in a lot of the infrastructure here in Australia now is wow. put in place and partly owned by Huawei. And there was some big issues when it when it happened because, of course, they've got some big connections to the Chinese government. Uh, and there was a there was a lot of nervousness. And I think the same thing's been happening in the US actually from memory that because they've gotten so good at building all this infrastructure because they've built all this infrastructure mm. in China, mm. they're now quite valuable to the rest of the world mm. um, because they had to build a lot of infrastructure really quickly in China. Right. And by all accounts, they've done a really good job. Hmm. So, yeah, they're, they're big. It's probably fair to say they're, they're a combination of IBM, Samsung, and wow. yeah. maybe like AT&T, yeah. talking about American yeah. terms. Yeah. Hey, this is pretty exciting. So, this new platform dubbed Blockchain Service is basically it's going to let companies develop smart contracts um, on top of a distributed ledger network. Mm-hmm. So there are a bunch of different use cases. That's going to include um, supply chain stuff, tokenized securities assets, and public services like ID verification and financial auditing. So pretty exciting stuff. Check it out. Yeah, it's, so it's all built on Hyperledger Fabric, which we talked about last week. Mm. Um, we'll put the link in the show notes to our episode last week. But if you haven't listened to that, really worth going and checking out. We did about an hour-long chat on enterprise blockchain and what that's going to mean. Mm. So mm. where all this blockchain stuff <clears throat> is going as far as business is concerned. And Hyperledger is a really interesting one because most of these platforms like Microsoft Azure, um, IBM, um, Corda, there's a there's a lot of them that are that are using Hyperledger as kind of like their basis, mm-hmm. so their platform, and they're building a whole bunch of tools on top of it. So you can just log into their dashboard, mm-hmm. spin up a blockchain, and you don't even know it's Hyperledger, but mm-hmm. that's the the kind of the technology that's mm-hmm. underlying everything. So it seems like UI are doing a similar thing. They're taking like a, a, the standard, which is this Hyperledger stuff, and mm-hmm. they're building their own solutions on top of it mm. that you'll then be able to use mm. and they'll brand it as as uh, UI stuff. So if you haven't checked out our bit on Enterprise Blockchain, well worth a listen to. I mean, it sounds a little boring into Enterprise Blockchain, but it is it is worth where the money's going. Mm. So really worth checking out. Mm. Next little piece was from Cointelegraph about um, Amazon Web Services releasing uh, frameworks for Ethereum and Hyperledger Fabric. Mm. Um, what's that all about? Yeah, so it's it's similar to what we just talked about with UI. That they're um, Amazon of Amazon Web Services. If you don't know what it is, it essentially most of the internet runs in at least in some part on Amazon Web Services. And if you look carefully, whenever you're loading up a web page, you'll generally see like an Amazon address down the bottom mm. at some time. They've built so many solutions for developers. <laughs> To host things cheaply mm-hmm. and to and to make them work really quickly and well, that they're all through the internet. So mm. it makes sense that they're going to start looking at blockchain as well mm-hmm. and the ways that they can build a, a, on top of that. So so they've chosen Ethereum and Hyperledger to to build their solutions out, and they're going to allow users to build and manage their own blockchain powered decentralized applications or DApps 
using Amazon Web Services. Mm, so apparently it's via the AWS cloud formation templates uh, tool, which is basically going to avoid a lot of manual setup um, and is going to make it a little more point and click. Yeah, and uh, this looks like where things are really going. I've seen this now from probably seven or eight different companies last week researching for our enterprise stuff, but then also in my own studies and then now this week as well, it seems like a lot of companies are, that people already use. Mm. So there's Amazon Web Services is something a lot of people already use. Mm. Uh, the Huawei stuff, I'm sure, is a lot, a lot of what China already use. Same thing with Microsoft Azure. So it makes sense that they'd want to offer blockchain technology in a way that's similar mm. for developers who've already been using their platforms. Mm. And I think for anyone that's either involved in a project that is uh, up and coming or are wanting to build things or position themselves to within this blockchain ecosystem, that seems to be a trend. That seems to where the industry be where the industry is moving towards. It's about having the technicals behind the scenes, mm-hmm. uh, but very usable mm-hmm. front ends mm-hmm. that are familiar to the developers mm-hmm. now, which is exactly like what goes on in the current web environment anyway. Mm. There's a whole bunch of technical stuff that goes on behind the scenes that a lot of front-end developers don't even want to have to deal with. Yeah, they just want to. They just want to know that they can pull an API from somewhere and, and plug it into their website, mm, mm, mm. Um, or plug it into their enterprise solution. Mm. So yeah, it's it's it just seems like Amazon's essentially saying, "Oh, Microsoft are doing it, um, our quarter are doing it, a bunch of other people are doing it. We better get on it too." Right. So, but it's exciting. Yeah, it means that this stuff is viable. Mm. It means that that the the people building, the people who've built the previous internet platforms. Mm see that blockchain is something that really needs a... Uh, they see that blockchain is something that they really need to be getting mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. and they need to be getting on now. So if you, you like the sound of that, um, stay subscribed to the FOMO show. Mm. Um, we love talking about this stuff. Yeah. And, and sorry, if, if, if people t- try to tell you that blockchain isn't being used, just take them to Microsoft Azure. Take them to Amazon Web Services mm-hmm. and just say, well, what's this? Mm, mm. The backbone of the internet. Look at this. <laughs> Get on board. Like, what's this right here? It's happening. Mm. It's happening, and uh, it's happening in a way we didn't think it probably would happen. But things are going to change, and they're going to change really quickly. Mm. Mate, IOTA, the the um, token which has free transactions. Yeah, it doesn't cost to make transactions uh, on that network. Mm. They've finally got a use case, a practical use case. You posted the link um, the other day, and I clicked on it. It was so exciting, mm. man! Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so a, a bit of background on IOTA. We have talked about it, I think, a, mm. a long time ago mm. in one of our episodes. And it's essentially, it's not really a blockchain. It works on a different premise altogether, and they call it the Tangle. And it's essentially to, to boil it down really simply. It's a whole bunch of nodes and one node is connected to two nodes and that node is connected to two nodes and they all kind of all interconnect and uh-huh. it's quite it's quite complex. And that was one of the big problems is that no one had been able to actually make it work uh-huh. with anything very well at all. And for a long time, people have been saying, oh, it's just, it's just never going to happen. It's mm-hmm. vaporware. Um, a lot of people have invested in it, hoping that something's going to happen, but nothing's happened. So this thing is really exciting. So a Netherlands-based company called Elad NL has officially unveiled the world's first Internet of Things capable charging station by harnessing the IOTA Tangle to facilitate direct transactions between the vehicle and the charger. 
So this application of the protocol is it's a milestone um, because it actually provides a tangible demonstration of fearless machine-to-machine transactions. So what you've got here is a car can literally roll up to a charging station. You can plug it in and the, the car will talk to the charging station and you won't need to go and pay anyone. Mm. It'll automatically just debit IOTA from your account and you just drive away. And that's what they've built here. Super exciting stuff. So they um, set up a test charging site um, in a business park and they ha- had a toy mini Tesla, which they specifically outfitted with a little uh, a bit of hardware, so a little computer system. Mm. And basically it uses a... a an e-mobility ISA 15118 charging point. Point now that's a charging standard, which means which has been developed and agreed globally, which establishes universal compatibility for vehicle-to-grid communications. Mm. So it's kind of like USB for vehicles, but it's right. like in the same way as USB is sort of a universal thing. Yeah. Um, it's that sort of idea, and it basically allows for secure, tamper-free charging and billing of electric vehicles across the world. So we're probably not going to know it as ISO one five one one eight in future. It's yeah. just going to be EM or something. Yeah, of course, something. something fantastic. Yeah. yeah, but basically means no RFID, no Bluetooth, or anything else like that. You just plug and charge, and then the transaction happens. And it's pretty exciting stuff. And this is huge because it means that the whole vision of IOTA, if you go on their website and look at their white paper, is that everything's going to be connected mm-hmm. in this Internet of Things. And most of what's going to happen is going. most most transactions are going to be behind the scenes mm. and they're going to be microtransactions. So they talk about, for example, your fridge communicating directly with a power ledger mm. and just pulling the power that it needs and paying that power in a microtransaction. Wow. So all you need to be concerned about is just keeping your uh, IOTA account topped up mm-hmm. and everything can just automatically mm. um, secure the network and pay for things just on the fly Wow! with direct machine-to-machine connections and it was a really ambitious idea and that's why i got so much press that's why they got so much investment early Mm -hmm. on but like we said it was all just talk until now now we can actually see something that's that's done it Mm -hmm. Uh, it's it's still a test and there's still a lot of questions that need to be asked but it's quite exciting Mm. there is um a tool called dow stack which um is Almost like a point-and-click interface for creating decentralized autonomous organizations. Mm. What's that all about? Yeah, so a decentralized autonomous organization is essentially an organization that exists on the blockchain and can run itself. So if you say you've got 10 people and you want to come together and build a company, you can now come together and build a company on the blockchain, agree to the rules beforehand, and it will automate a lot of what goes on using smart contracts. So you can set up... Uh, joint ventures with other companies that will Mm -hmm. automatically execute contracts. You can have voting, you can have governance, and it's all going to be out in the open, all on a ledger, uh, very accessible, very transparent, and very trustless. Mm. And we have covered Aragon before, which is another... uh, It was an ICO about a year ago that are are building this. They want to build a digital jurisdiction Mm. where people can spin up and spin down DAOs. And we've had a bit of a look at their, their beta which is uh, which which is quite promising actually. We've I, I started a FOMO organisation a few weeks ago on that and uh, <laughs> and gave it a little crack. Um, but Dowstack is essentially another competitor now that's coming up, and that what they want to provide is the foundational tools for creation, operation, and governance of DAOs 
internally and externally within a broader ecosystem. So in a nutshell, they actually say this themselves, they want to be the WordPress for DAOs. Now, what is WordPress, mate, and why is it being used here as like an example for what so they were? So that's being used as an example because WordPress runs most of the websites on the internet. Like the the majority of websites, um, it, it, the reason it's WordPress is the thing that works is because instead of having to edit code or things like that, once your WordPress is set up on your server, you can log in and edit your website from anywhere, mm. which is basically the main thing it makes it easy no code and uploading and downloading files mm. you've just got wordpress you log in and you manage your websites super easy any and so many people are running websites on wordpress um and it's really straightforward stuff so it just makes it really easy it brings yep. it it brings the technical skill level required down yeah it, it, it's incredible i mean i i that the block sense website i built a few weeks ago is was built on wordpress mm-hmm. and it took me half a day, I think, mm. to get everything up and running. Mm. And it works really well. And the plugins that you can get mm. just make things so much mm. easier. You could make a website into a social network, uh, an e-commerce website. You can basically make WordPress do anything you want. Mm. Um, so I think every website I've built since I was about 13 has been running on WordPress. Mm. Really good stuff. And you can just do so many different things. Yep. And and that's what these guys are wanting to do with with DAOs. So they they want to make it so that you can you, essentially, if you if you take a WordPress example, you'd start your your website or your DAO, mm-hmm. and then it would just have the bare bones, mm-hmm. and then you would begin to load in your plugins, mm. and they'd be different plugins for governance and for for tokenization, voting, joint ventures, accounts, uh, whatever you want to bring in there, you can bring in there, mm-hmm. and then uh, you could essentially just Swap in, swap out what you want, manage permissions. That's their dream for mm. DAOs. They they just want it to be very easy. They want it so that anyone can do it. You get all the benefits of a blockchain without having to deal with all the technicals of a mm. blockchain. Mm-hmm. So they're building this on what they're calling alchemy, which is their user interface, their initial minimum viable product is what they've described it as. But there's a really cool video on YouTube Check it out. It's in the show notes. It's from their CEO and architect who's demoing the um, interface, which is really interesting showing how they can how you can spin these things up. Mm. Really cool. Mm. And look, DAOs are going to be a big part of the future. I think if you're, if you're looking at future trends, uh, DAOs are going to have a big impact simply because they can automate so much of what we know uh, as far as commercial interactions go. And it's going to allow people to build a lot of uh, very unique organizations that may well allow people to have more more of an involvement uh, with commercial transactions and with companies in general than they ever have before. So keep an eye on that. Definitely worth going and checking out. Uh, we'll put the link in the show notes. And we'll put a link to Aragon too, which is the other one in the show notes, just so you can go and see what other people are doing too. You sent a link across um, to me today. Which got me super excited. Um, it's about so some scientists in the UK have built. Um, they're building a robot which can harvest crops. Mm. How nuts is that? Yeah, yeah. So it's at the University of Plymouth, and there, what they've developed is essentially this robotic. The first part of it says so this robotic hand. It's like this big robotic arm. Um, and their goal is to have it assisting with fruit, fruit, assisting fruit and vegetable growers with the challenges they face in harvesting crops. Now, I can talk from first-hand experience here, mate, that harvesting crops is not as easy as it sounds. Uh, the the thing that really caught my eye here is they had this robotic arm in their 
harvesting these cauliflowers. Uh-huh. And I grew up every year harvesting tens of thousands of cauliflowers wow. myself. And it really is backbreaking work. I mean, the the harvesting itself is not as bad, but the, all the things you need to do, there's this thing called covering with cauliflowers, which you may not have to do in some of the colder climates, but here in Australia, your cauliflowers can literally get sunburnt. Wow. So, if you don't cover them up, we yeah. use rubber bands um, and you kind of tie all the leaves up together and cover the heart inside, wow. which is what people eat. Uh, but if you don't do that, they'll get sunburnt and the sun will literally bake them. And that you does can't not happen in Britain. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> um, but here in Australia, it does. Wow. And the moment I saw this, I thought, if you could get two robotic hands and all they would need to do is go up the stem... Uh, and close the leaves at the mm-hmm. top and then slip a rubber band down the stem, mm-hmm. you could save countless farmers' backs from mm-hmm. ever having to... Because mm-hmm. it, it, there really is no fast way to do it. Wow. Um, we've talked about spraying them with sunscreen and we've talked about all sorts of other things, wow. but none of that works. You, at the end of the day, you have to get down in there in the, the paddock and just cover tens of thousands <laughs> of cauliflowers and you're bent over the whole time. And Shakes. Anyway, not to bore everyone with all the details, but just to say that that's only one... Very little situation in a huge market of places mm. where farmers are, are kind of constrained mm. by the fact that at the moment they have to get humans to do this. Humans are suboptimal at doing this stuff. They tire, they need breaks, mm-hmm. and a lot of it is just mundane, boring work that you just can't make any better. So it's stuff from just even seeing that something's ready to harvest and pull out of the ground or whether it's not ready. That's yeah. So how does the robot step in here? The robot is it's not just a it's not just a robotic hand. It's got all sorts of sensors on it and cameras and all sorts of things and mm-hmm. they've essentially been programming it with machine learning so they can teach it using these cameras, using 3D models that it can generate uh, how to identify if cauliflowers for example are ready to harvest and distinguish the precise part to be taken. And what they mean by that is, of course, cauliflowers have a heart, which grows up in the middle, Mm -hmm. but then there's the rest of the cauliflower that doesn't need to be taken. And I'm sure there's been learning that's gone into how to handle it properly as Mm -hmm. well because Mm -hmm. they're quite fragile, Mm -hmm. the hearts, um, and you normally need to leave a certain amount of leaves around it. Um, But this is just amazing because they're they're talking here about teaching something to learn through these cameras. And Mm. the applications of that is uh, Mm. just unreal Mm. because not only could you have the... Uh, the cauliflower being harvested by this hand, but it could also have another hand, you know, on a trailer that follows the harvesting, packing it into boxes as well. So yeah, they're, and they're alive to that too, and they're t- they're teaching these things to record images, touch data, all sorts of, you know, I, I guess it would probably be environmental data as well. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, they may just go out automatically once things are ready and start harvesting without mm, even needing mm, to mm. Uh, even needing to tell the farmer. Really exciting stuff. So the main researcher behind this um, has spun out a company called Fieldwork Robotics Limited, um, mm. and he's exploring uh, potential business models which would bring the tech to market within two to three years. So I reckon in six years we'll probably see something <laughs> like this hit the market. Yeah. Um, really fascinating stuff, and that could involve the machines either being owned by contractors with farmers buying the service when they're needed, or you know, mate, some of the larger farms could definitely just buy them themselves. Yeah, yeah, fantastic yeah. stuff. Um, and look, and this is where you, you will begin to see these whole new business models start to come up. You know, as this tech really starts to come out, like he's talking there about a whole new market of 
contractors that never existed. Mm. If it's only the contractors that can afford it, you know, there there will be a whole new market for people, not only for the contractors, but for people for instruments that also can tell the contractors automatically when things are ready mm. in the field. There'll be you know there'll need to be payments around that commission based. I, I assume it will be smart contracts, but you could eventually get to the point where farms do own like a fleet of these things and they just run themselves mm. and they just send mm. them out and. And they do most of the farming for them. And it's, it's going to come down to a lot more about training these things to do the tasks properly mm-hmm. and in the way that suits the climate. Because the climate in the UK, like we were talking about, is going to be very different to the climate in Australia. And, mm-hmm. and the, 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 the needs and the risks and um, the, sp- the specifics are going to be very different. So there's going to be – I think there will be a lot of room here for companies that know the farming techniques mm-hmm. uh, but also know the robotic techniques – and they can teach them to operate optimally in each different area. Yeah. So, that's an emerging market right there, ah. I think. Speaking of agriculture tech, mm. we've got an interview that's queued up towards the end of next month, I believe, towards the end of May. Um, so, it'll probably be coming out early June. Yep. Um, with a fascinating company called Block Grain. For people who haven't heard, what's Block Grain all about? Yeah, so Block Grain is an Australian-based company. And they've been around for quite a while, but they've only just bumped up to the, the point where they're going to be doing an ICO. So they've kind of taken the route that we like to see people take, which is consult with the industry first, build out your your technicals, begin your project, and then seek funding. Mm. Um, so they've been around, I, I think we've been hearing from them for about six to nine months. Right. So they're, they're not new in the space. Uh, but their vision is, and, and this is taken directly from their white paper, it says, imagine if all stakeholders in the agricultural industry could make better informed decisions eliminate unnecessary paperwork and dockets, reduce supply chain inefficiency and risk, open markets and increase the bottom line by conducting business in one simple platform. And they want Blockchain to be that platform. So I'm guessing this isn't just for uh, farmers who are growing grain, Mm. but from what it looks like, easy, it's a system that means that you can automate the supply chain, um, manage your inventory uh, inventory, Mm. and and connect a bunch of the market players together with useful information and smart contracts. There's a huge amount of stuff that's going on here. Mm. Why are they bringing this in? Why is there a need for this? Yeah, so we've we I think we talked about this a bit before when we featured INS, oh, which yeah. was the decentralized grocery service mm-hmm. that the, the ICO that they are running. Um, there's a lot of there's a lack of trust and a lack of visibility throughout the whole agricultural industry mm-hmm. uh, because essentially what you've got is you've got a very old industry which has kind of grown in dribs and drabs. And there's Mm -hmm. been new, you know, for example, when refrigeration came in, there were new areas that sprung up around that. And when, you know, automated machinery came in, there were new areas that sprung up around that. And there's all these disparate areas. And generally, farmers can find it very difficult to deal directly with the market Mm -hmm. because they're working at such a scale now they generally have to give their produce to an agent who mm-hmm. holds it in a cool room and then they handle the direct the relationships with the the people that stock it mm-hmm. so your supermarkets and your grocers and everything like that and there's also a lack of disclosure so it's hard for farm- farmers to know if they're getting what they should so for example in the grain industry they normally sell most of their grain to like a a, a bigger organization and then that organization will send grain to different places mm-hmm. and they'll on sell it and there could be four or five steps mm. between when the organization receives the grain to when they actually sell it properly somewhere mm. Um, and it, the farmer, at the end of the day, normally just gets told, oh, it was sold for this much and mm-hmm. there's not much of a way to know that. Um, 
the other side of that too is it's also hard for consumers to know that they're getting produce produce from somewhere they think they should. Mm. And a big one with that is organic. You know, a lot wow, of people like yeah. buying organic, but uh, if you're a customer in a shop, you don't know whether that that product is actually organic. Mm. You know, you don't know whether it's actually come from the right place. What if a truck picked up the wrong pallet mm. and it was meant to be an organic one and it wasn't? Mm. Uh, there's just no real way to know. So. They're looking at saying, well, the blockchain can solve a lot of that those problems. Wow. If you do everything on the blockchain, then you can authenticate it all. Um, and that will also solve a lot of the poor data management in those mm. industries too. There's also inefficiency. There's, they've got a statistic that says 1.3 billion tonnes of food is wasted per year simply because of inefficiency. And I can tell you that from experience, that does happen. You'll, you'll go to a market here like the one here in Brisbane and you will see food that's just stayed too long mm. in a cool mm. room or... Uh, hasn't been put away when it should have been put away mm. and eventually some of it gets spoiled and there's just nothing you can do. Mm. Uh, and same thing with fruit stores. You know, there's there's a there's a lot of inefficiency there. There's people throwing things out all the time. And I was watching a show the other day and they were saying that, yeah, in the US, I think it was like 43% of food um, is wasted. Wow. And then across the world, the person, the person who was being interviewed, they said that that was close to 50%. Wow. Which is insane, which means for all of that grain that a farmer is actually producing – Half it's actually just going to go to waste anyway, which is kind yeah. of sad. But and if that went to the developing world, you know, you could feed, you could feed all the people that aren't getting fed yeah. with that wastage. So there's a lot of issues. There's market issues as well. There's supply chain issues, which we've covered before, and and they're essentially looking to be the the one stop blockchain solution for the agricultural industry. Mm. So we'll be interviewing them in May. Mm. Um, they've they've just begun their registration for their KYC, the Know Your Customer, mm-hmm. and their token sale opens on the 26th of April and it runs to the 24th of June. Really worth checking out. I think they've done things mm. the right way. Mm. They've, they've waited. They just haven't launched. Uh, have a look at their white paper. Feel free to ask questions that their team is around. I know Megan from their team is on quite a few different platforms and she's generally pretty quick to respond to questions. So... Uh, yeah, definitely one, one to check out. Really promising, I think, what they're trying to do. But, uh, yeah, we'll have an interview with them late next month. Mm. Well, the planet that's heading towards 9 billion people in the population mm. over the next 30 years, um, it's never been a more a better time for a company like this to, to, to come into place. That's right. And if you, if you can hook up the robotic technology, which we just covered before, like yeah. stuff like that, with the blockchain technology that these guys and other guys are building, I mean, who knows? Like farmers just will be able to sit back and put the feed up. <laughs> just spray That'd a bit of spray a bit. Just make sure there's oil in the robots. They deserve it, mate. They <laughs> they work really really hard. So last time we had a call, or we called our intrepid reporter Jordan Cronier. He was in Vladivostok, and he was under the mistaken impression that we'd asked him to go there to do mm. some reporting for him, and. From what we could gather, I mean, it's, it was audio. We didn't have any video feed. He was in the back of a car going mm. to an undisclosed location. Now, he'd gone very dark for mm. the last four or five weeks, enough that we did start to get a little bit concerned, but mm. not too concerned. But we have managed to, <laughs> to, to make contact with him again. He's given, he's given us a contact number mm-hmm. in a place called Lieberland, I think he yeah, said it was. Yeah, Yeah, so let's give him a call anyway. Mm. Welcome to the Lieberland switchboard. Who would you like to be connected to? Uh, Jordan? Connecting. Uh, hello? Jordan, is that you? Oh, yes, yes, Matt. 
oh sorry fella it's been a while huh? it's, I've, I've been you know I've been sorting out my finances I've you know been trying to make ends meet huh? Jordan we haven't heard from you for weeks man I mean back when we last heard from you you were trapped in the boot of a car in, in Vladivostok what happened oh yeah, oh, do you know what? It's just a little misunderstanding. I oh, with some of my Russian friends. Huh? It turns out I'd had a long-standing IOU. I'd accidentally left the country without paying them back. So, not to worry. Everything is all good now, huh? Everything, you know, it's all, you know, smoothed it over. All right, so Jordan, how did you pay them back? How did you sort out this, this IOU? Do you know what? I still, I still had my Zimbabwe coin. You know, when you're controlling the supply of an asset... No problems for you, huh? All right. Well, thank goodness, Jordan. We, we were actually a little bit worried about you. Where are you these days? I heard something about Lieberland. Funny you should ask, Matt. Do you know what? I'm actually in Lieberland at the moment. Huh? It's a small parcel of uh, disputed land between uh, Serbia and Croatia and Europe. I'm here to report on the libertarian movement here and the, uh, the border disputes between, uh, between the surrounding nations and where Lieberland comes out of nowhere to bring glorious freedom to the people of uh, decentralised currencies. Okay, so Jordan, isn't that the country that is currently in a, in a dispute with a whole bunch of other countries about whether it's actually a valid country and and not just a, a private estate. Well, do you know what? It's, it's, it's weird because it's on the border of the the, the Danube River, and uh, you know, there's there's one part that uh, I think it's that Croatia is not claiming, but Serbia and Serbia is not claiming, and one of them claims that it belongs to the other, right. but the other one is not claiming it. It's a bit of a difficult one, huh? but um, essentially, you are correct. I am trying to become a citizen uh, and get my hands on diplomatic immunity. So, you know, just you know, just for personal reasons, I need diplomatic immunity, get back into South Africa, etc. Um, but as a representative of the Free Republic of Liberland, I just wanted, you know, there's taxation purposes as well. That comes into effect. But, you know, nothing to do with that. But, I mean, um, yeah, and, and nothing to do with the multiple arrest warrants that are out for me either, you know. But it's... It's a long story. I'm a political prisoner right now. I, I'm like Julian Assange, eh? Wait, no, Jordan. I mean, Julius, Julian Assange runs a whistleblowing website that's, been, that's brought freedom of information to millions of people. I mean, how are you a political prisoner? Look, freedom has got so many different meanings. I think we shouldn't get tied up in the, you know, the semantics of, you know, am I in the Ecuadorian embassy? No, I'm not. I'm in Liberland. But at the same time, freedom, you know, is a bit broader than that. Huh? And um, I am a, I'm a political prisoner of conscience. Right. Okay. But, Jordan, the other problem is, is that Lieberland isn't currently accepted by the United Nations, as far as I'm aware. And I don't think a lot of other countries recognize its sovereignty. Look, there's nothing, you know, a $500 bill can't, you know, $500 in cash, just, you know, many people turn a blind eye and, you know, the flag on my car, there's so many, like, don't worry about it, we can get through it, huh? Okay, so Jordan, do you have any connections in this labor land then? I mean, diplomatic immunity is normally something that's quite hard to, to for people to give out. They don't just give it out willingly. They don't just let people be ambassadors for their country willingly either. How are you going to become an ambassador for this labor land? Well, honestly, there are not very many people here looking around uh, is there's not a lot going on here so I mean there's only one person here who's from South Africa and it would be me so I mean I would make the best diplomat who represents Liberland in South Africa so I'm thinking I might head back home for a short while take the Free Republic of Liberland and their message of freedom with me right so the next time we talk to you then Jordan you'll be back in South Africa 
I very much hope so. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, look, Jordan, we'll um, we'll we'll get your number for when you're over there, but we might also get the number of uh, of the uh, the penitentiary there, just in case. Oh, you're always making jokes, are eh? you? Catch you soon, huh? Oh, Jordan, hang on. What about our article? Oh, Jordan. It's good to have him back on the show, mate. Yeah, yeah. I've been missing the, the sonorous tones, the sonorous broken vowels of the, mm. of uh, our dear, dear South Africa. I'm a little bit jealous of him, actually. I, I always did want to check out Leverland, mm. um, but I'm just not sure how he's going to go getting a diplomatic immunity, but we shall see. Yes, one to watch. So this time in our project of the week, we're going to talk about NEM. Uh, NEM stands for New Economy Movement, and it's a smart contract execution platform aiming to serve enterprise predominantly in the financial sector at the moment. It's based out of Japan, Malaysia, and Singapore, and has a number of large corporate backers for the Southeast Asia region. Oh, you were surprised with the the number of developers you you'd seen using it. Yeah, yeah. So look, uh, I've seen it popping up more and more on, on different people's web pages. They'll normally just have a little NEM thing on the top. And if you click on it, it'll it'll tell you how they're using this platform to build different projects. Mm-hmm. And a listener, Kieran, who another listener, Luke, put us in touch with, he's doing a lot of work in the education sector. Right. Uh, he's building some really cool solutions. We're hoping to have him on sometime to chat about it. Um, he uses NEM for, for the projects that he's building within the education sector. And so we'll put the link in the show notes to his website and his projects but when I started digging into what he was actually doing with it uh, and what other people have been doing with it as well I was really surprised and we went to a meetup recently and I think we touched on it in another episode where uh, NEM was being featured too Mm, and mm. even that was quite eye-opening as to how far along they were Mm. yeah it's very hard to do the project justice because there is just a lot, a lot to it. Especially as we've researched for this this topic, it's, I think we found that there's just been more and more to this project that we didn't even realise was going on, mm. and it seems like it's very well fleshed out. Um, and yeah, it just seems to be moving very quickly too. It's got a really active community. Mm-hmm. So we'll run through some pointers, but we'll we'll drop a link to a, a bunch of the documentation. Um, because the more you were looking into it, the more surprised you were getting, yep. the more excited you were getting about yep. it. So from from what I gather, it seems to be aimed at just integrating current ways of doing business on the blockchain. Mm. Especially with their new Catapult project, which we will touch on later, they've, they're really making a push to serve business where they're at now. So they're trying to make it as easy as possible for people to jump on the blockchain without having to devote a whole bunch of resources to it and change, you know, make massive changes to their current workflow. They're trying to say, well, we're going to give you the tools to begin progressing over slightly and making everything work. Um, so it's got several intriguing features uh, that that are, that are active right now. Mm. The first one is detached smart contracts. So NEM facilitates smart contracts, but they're designed for the execution to occur offline, such as on like company servers, for example. So at the moment with Ethereum, if you build a smart contract and you deploy it, it's deployed onto the chain, mm-hmm. and everything has to happen on the chain. And you have to be very careful about how complex you make that smart contract because, or how much resources it's going to take up, because you're the amount of execution space on the blockchain is quite limited. Um, but NEM focuses more on having what they call smart assets on chain mm-hmm. and having the smart contracts which are tied to them exist on servers somewhere else. The next cool feature is smart assets. 
Um, so mosaics are the smart asset of NEM, and they can be used to connect any asset, whether it's real or whether it's digital, to the blockchain. So crypto kitties mm. may have a big life on uh, on NEM. Yeah, yeah, and, and they use these mosaics essentially to say that you can put almost anything on the blockchain and give it blockchain personality. And they've put made a real point of fleshing the system out as much as they can because they really believe that. Uh, everything that we know now will have some kind of blockchain personality in the future. Wow. Um, so that's th- those two kind of go hand in hand, the, the smart contracts and the smart assets. Mm. And your smart assets are what exist on the blockchain and the smart contracts, which govern a lot of their behavior, uh, can be connected to them, mm. but doesn't necessarily have to do all the work on the blockchain itself. Mm. So, I mean, the, f- from from the presentation that we went to, I mean, there are a bunch of different things that could be smart assets. You've got, I think they mentioned the example that uh, I think Cardano were actually doing with mm. it. But um, but you could have your diplomas and degrees, uh, certificates sort of verified yep. um, that way. So that being smart assets, you could also you could also have your copyright mm. um, detail. Uh, what would you call that? The, yeah. A log that you own the copyright to something, yeah. sort of uh, logged on there as well. Yeah. So it's an interesting, plenty of different things could be. I mean, any anything could be a smart asset. It's mm. really exciting how they've, yeah, as you said, fleshed that out. Yeah. So Nem have also worked out, and this is a bit of an enterprise trend anyway. So it's uh, they worked this out quite a while ago, but this seems to be the way everything's going. That uh, enterprise is going to want private blockchains. They're not just going to want public blockchains, but they also will want private blockchains and. What they've identified is that the, the great thing about a public blockchain, apart from all the other benefits we talk about all the time, is that it, it's very secure. There is so much security in having a, a big distributed system uh, that has data centers in pretty much every place in the world. So they've developed this system called MyGen, which is what they're calling their private blockchain system. And it, it allows you to spin these private NEM blockchains up at will. Mm-hmm. So it's they're, they're very similar to the, the big public NEM blockchain. So when you spin these blockchains up, mm. they're already connected in a number of ways to the, to the public blockchain. So they make these automatic links to the public blockchain. So while these private chains are off doing their own thing, they're reporting back all the time. And using hashes and cryptography to keep securing what's going mm. on on the private chain using the public chain, wow. which is quite smart. And it's, it's a really novel solution to the, the, the security issues that come with, with private blockchains. Right. Wow. A really exciting thing is the API system that they've built. So arguably they've got the most advanced blockchain api system that's there that's around which it allows you to build uh, web apps or mm. websites that you can make interact with the blockchain so you could build a little uh, a little website and then you can have actions on your website will cause things to happen yep um, cause things to be logged on on the blockchain yeah if you're building a web application currently how would you use apis i, I guess right now you sort of um you could write things to a database for example so yep. you could just as a basic example let's say you were creating a a, a web app which is a game yep. for i don't know um we'll call it flappy bird mm. and people on your website can just sort of go on and play the game now you could have for example as soon as a player is finished um, their score appears, and then you with high scores that would all just be logged into a database, for example, so you could show the top hundred mm. high scores mm. using something uh, using a blockchain instead of your database, mm. not that I'm sure why, but I mean you could for example, whenever someone completes it logs on the nem blockchain mm. 
this is the high score from this user at this time, la, la, la. Yep. And then it can pull them all from there. So it's sort of like validated high scores in yep. a way. Yep. So that's sort of how you'd be able to plug things into an API yep. from your website. Yeah. So that's a really common technique at the moment that web developers use currently. They'll pull APIs from different websites and different companies and different games or mm-hmm. whatever, different databases. Uh and that seemed to be one of the big issues that a lot of people said about the blockchain is that there just wasn't that same communication. Mm. They were having difficulty pulling data. So, yeah, yeah, reading. Yeah. So, yeah, that's one of the key things is reading from and writing to. So, mm. really exciting stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, that's that's just another way that they're, they're making it really easy for developers to, to log, jump on and feel familiar with things. So, the next thing that, that they do really well currently is they've got a very robust multi-signature account system. So, if you spin up an, a NEM account, you can assign what's called co-signatories and it actually allows up to 32 people to have control over these accounts based on set rules that you set when you when you set up the account. So, for example, let's say we have a FOMO account and we, you know, Joe and I can both use it and it only requires one of us to be a signatory to, to validate the transaction. But if more than 25% of the funds in that account are going to be used, we both have to validate the transaction. Mm. You can set up rules like that. Wow. So, it, it would be really handy if you're going to build like a, a decentralized autonomous organization on NEM or if you're going to have a some kind of merger of companies or some fina- complex financial interactions, you could have different conditional mm. uh, statements and co- smart contracts that dictate how you can use that account at different times and you can have a whole bunch of people participating in that at once and that's that you can't we can't overemphasize enough how difficult that is to do Mm. in the current Mm. banking system Mm. and this is why they're focusing so much on the financial stuff because if you want to have an account at the moment with a bank and have a bunch of co-signatories to that account that normally means literally having uh, if you let's say you want to do a transaction over ten percent of the account value, you would literally have to have everyone come in and sign a document, for example, to mm-hmm. do that. I don't know of any apps where you can actually do that. I, I don't even know if there's that functionality mm-hmm. at the moment. But what NEM are actually doing is they're saying we're going to allow that for our blockchain, but we're also going to make it so that banks can start to do that if they want to do it as well. Uh, wow. They're going to offer that technology to them. Wow. So. That's it's, huge. It's massive, man. It's it's very revolutionary, and it's it's something that you can only do on a blockchain. What's the final standout feature for you? So the final standout feature is uh, of, of the current features is this thing called a postile, and it's like a it's like a notary for smart assets. So let's say you've got a car dealership, mm-hmm. um, and actually, no, let's go one step back, and let's say you've got a car manufacturer. Yeah. Okay. Let's say let's say it's Ford. So, the Ford factory in in America, let's say every time they spit out a car out of that factory, they put an entry on a NEM ledger that corresponds to that car. They Mm -hmm. might have like a little blockchain chip in the car as well that can can actually interact with the blockchain when it's got internet connectivity or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, When that car gets sold to a dealership, uh, that ledger entry will, will update the ownership from being owned by the Ford manufacturer itself to the Ford dealership. And then mm. if the Ford dealership sells it to someone, uh, like a, let's say the Ford dealership just sells it to a normal person, then the ledger entry will be, the, the notary will be updated again to say that 
uh, it's not owned by the the dealership anymore. It's owned by the person. But anyone checking that notary entry would be able to see that it's it's owned by that person. It's come from the dealership, and then it's come from the manufacturer. It was manufactured on this date at this factory at this time. A lot of the issues at the moment with selling cars and knowing where things have actually come from mm-hmm. is that you've really just got to trust that, that that's where they are. There are some notary systems where you can look that stuff up, mm-hmm. but it's a lot more difficult and it's only for specific uh, industries. Mm. What NEM have done with this Apostle system is say, we're going to take this smart asset functionality, which we built right at the start, and we're going to make a really efficient and easy-to-use notary system over the top of it to manage digital titles. That's huge. So, like, I mean, you could see that coming in for classic cars. Yeah. I mean, there'd probably be a company that would end up just being like, okay, so every Lotus if you want to increase the value of your Lotus, you get this little chip that you know, can just be like not like non-damagingly put mm. into the car mm. and it verifies who all the owners have been. Yep. All that information. Yep. I mean, that could even be... And it's on, it's on the blockchain. I think mm. that's the big thing. Like at the moment, even with the validation systems, mm. if, you get, if someone can hack a server and edit some entries... Um, You've got no way of knowing whether the, the, your the current like notary system that talks about the car's history is actually true, because mm. that thing could have been hacked. Things could have been altered. You can't do that to a blockchain because everything gets hashed. It's immutable. Um, so, I I I just really love this smart, whole smart asset concept and the way they make everything interact. Uh, it's 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 really really good. So, what what are a few other current features to this blockchain, mate? There are so many things that are built into this system. Um, there's the built-in messaging solution. Um, there's a, a, a process-activated or manual sign-off function for transactions, uh, multiple approvals, as, as, we met, as we touched on earlier. I think the, the big thing with NEM at the moment is they're really honing in on the financial system as where they want to be building most of their tech for mm. at the moment because mm. they see that as being the area that they can most disrupt what's going on. There's a lot of compliance stuff, mm. audit trails, anti-money laundering, freezing accounts, transaction reversal, mm. huge amount of stuff that can go on there. Yeah, yeah, and, and they provide the tools for financial institutions that want to adopt the NEM blockchain uh, to do all that stuff, but do it in a way that's open and transparent, which I think is the key. So, mm. the customers are getting a better deal, but the bank's also not losing a lot of the functionality that they currently had. Um, which makes sense. You know, I mean, we, we talk all the time about how the world would be great if everything was just running on a completely decentralized distributed money system. But the fact is, is that all these financial institutions are going to need someone to, to, to help them integrate all this technology mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like the way that them is trying to bring more openness. They're just putting themselves forward as look, we've got all these, this is absolutely mm. incredible stuff that they're building mm. here. Absolutely amazing. So, what's this whole catapult system about? Yeah, so this is really exciting, mate. When I found this and I read the read the, read the white paper for this one, I was really impressed. So, catapult is kind of like NEM two point zero, and it's a specific new set of blockchain functions that are designed to be highly scalable and enterprise grade. So, the goal of NEM catapult is to provide a blockchain solution for large enterprises who are shifting to the blockchain. Right. So a large amount of the technology that they're, they're developing is focused on allowing external decentralized and centralized applications and smart contracts 
to all transact on the blockchain together. Wow. So, some of the features is that they've got a bulletproof digital asset creation system. They're, they've actually implementing decentralized swaps wow. between different blockchains. Wow. They've got advanced account systems that they're integrating, and I think they're quite similar to what EOS is setting up. So, they're, they're trying to make account systems more robust, uh, less clunky, like we currently know with Ethereum and all the other blockchains. And they're actually pulling in business logic into the, into the blockchain itself. So, a lot of the modeling that goes on behind the scenes mm-hmm. with the current financial systems, they're saying, well, we need to offer that same product with the blockchain systems as well. We need businesses to be able to essentially reach in pull out a few different variables and model all that in an efficient way that they can then you know, implement into smart contracts or wow. um, some other types of information sources that they're putting on the blockchain. And that's, mate, all that stuff is exactly what enterprise, especially mm-hmm. big enterprises, mm-hmm. is after. Because as, as exciting as things like Ethereum are, and we touch that, we keep touching on this, but things like Ethereum just have real scaling problems. Mm. Um, from the presentation that we went to a couple months back, scalability was one of the things they were talking about. I mean, yeah. wasn't it when they're saying it was like, I think it was up to 10,000 transactions a second is what they were looking at? Yeah, so. yeah, that's what they're looking at at the moment. Um, I mean, conservatively for this catapult thing, they're saying 3,000 transactions a second, but I think the theoretical right. ceiling is a lot higher than that, especially once they start getting these side chains and multiple blockchains going on. That's super exciting. So they're continuously working on this API, which is going to be massive for businesses because mm. that's where they're going to plug their systems in. Mm. Um, and a lot of these big businesses and big financial institutions already have their developers. Yep. So it's getting them to plug their current systems in and yep. they do better to do that than the developers. So. Yep. Um, they've also got a, what they call embedded escrow service for exchanges Ooh. of assets on the blockchain. And wow. that sounds really complex, but essentially what it is is it's saying, for example, let's say you want to buy a... A ticket to a, to a gig. They're building a system where you can generate a, a smart contract very quickly, so that the person buying the ticket, their money goes into an escrow, a, a separate account, um, kind of cordoned off from the person selling the ticket, and then the person selling the ticket puts the their ticket into escrow as well, and then both the transactions execute at the same time. So, until both of those conditions are yeah. met, it's until there's the money in one escrow account and there's the ticket in the other escrow account, which would have to be like a smart asset, mm-hmm. um, nothing happens. But then the moment both of those conditions are satisfied at the exact same time, they shift. That's great. Uh, which is and, that, and, and what they're saying is that's that kind of functionality, that escrow functionality, they're building into the, the bare bones of this. So... You can apply that kind of logic wherever you want wow. and it's just going to be automatic and uh, people won't even need to know that it's going on behind the scenes. But it's going to re- result in, uh, you know, for example, let's say there are issues at the moment when you try and pay someone something and payment doesn't go through but they've already delivered the product or vice versa. They don't deliver the product and you've paid them. The, the, the solution to that is having both things be held somewhere else mm. in escrow until they both come in. And that seems to be what they're trying to build into the central of this, which is really cool. Mm. And we were mentioning the multi-signatory account, so you're having up to 32 people ma- managing stuff. But another plug-in to that is that you can have permissible access. So mm. people only access what 
you know, specific things. So maybe your finance team only see, you know, your financial accounts, but not necessarily like, you know, which, what the, uh, more detail on the, on other areas mm. or, you know, your new starters only see sort of lower level stuff. You, you can really sort of lock bits off, um, which is kind of an interesting little feature there. Yeah. Yeah. So the, they, they essentially want people to be able to really manage who can see what, when, in a lot of these bigger institutions that begin to have a lot more blockchain personality. So this is in early early access at the moment. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so they've they've got a working product. Uh, there's people testing it right now. Their white paper is quite extensive, as is their technical documentation. But essentially, what they want this to be is this will become the NEM engine. So once this goes live, once this is in a stage where it's enterprise ready, it will become NEM. 2.0. So it'll have all the right. the current features of NEM plus all these new features, mm. which is, mate, in and of itself, it's great because it, essentially it means that they can upgrade their their blockchain tech at will, uh, but only once their the features are ready. Wow. Um, which is a really, you know, it's kind mm. of what we've become more used to with project development in the last twenty years. So where does the NEM token come in? Do you pay with NEM to use the NEM system? Yeah, so there, there, there are transaction fees on, right. the, on the NEM system. Right. So it's, it's not free, uh, but it is very, very cheap right. from my understanding. Right. It's, it's very, very cheap. And that's generally kind of the, the NEM token is kind of like the grease that oils the gears right, between right, all right. the different things going on. So that's generally where it's used. I mean, obviously... As it becomes more and more relevant for enterprise, NEM's going to be a lot more like a, another currency as well. Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of the applications that build on it are going to be uh, using NEM as the native currency. But yeah. at the same time, NEM are, are doing some really unique stuff with being able to essentially tie fiat transactions to the NEM blockchain. It's more with this catapult. Mm-hmm. version that they're doing but they're going to allow banks to integrate a lot of their current systems with the NEM blockchain so you can get the trustless element of like recording the transactions mm-hmm. onto the ledger and the interaction onto the ledger but the eventual payment could still be made with like US dollars or Australian right. dollars or whatever mm-hmm. um, so that's kind of hard to explain on on the podcast so we'll put the links in the show notes there's some really good diagrams on the catapult site right, that show right, right. how all that's going to be managed and how and, and what their plan is for it but yeah essentially nem is is mainly used as a transaction fee mechanism at the moment wow yeah fantastic so what are your overall thoughts on nem and and uh, where it sits within this blockchain ecosystem yeah look nem is a bit of a dark horse i think i think a lot of people aren't really taking notice of of what's going on with it my i definitely haven't that's for sure yeah, well yeah. look mate my impression is that the people that are taking notice of it are all in on it mm. they're they're using it for so many different things um whereas anyone that isn't taking notice of it doesn't they don't nem doesn't seem to be out there making a big deal about itself mm-hmm. my impression of nem is that they're just kind of these they're these very hard workers in the background who were just getting down to building a platform. And I think in a couple of years' time, or maybe even this year, we're just going to see them explode onto the scene mm. where a lot of the back end of, especially the Southeast Asia region, which mm-hmm. seems to be where they're concentrating, a lot of the back end enterprise systems there will be running on NEM. And I mean, we know for a fact that 
Southeast Asia as well as China uh, is very up and coming in a lot of ways. You know, they're, they're, they're becoming more and more noticeable on the world stage. And if the institutions out of these areas are transacting on the NEM blockchain, it's going to make a lot of sense for a lot of people to get on it. Um, so, I really like NEM. I think they're, they're doing the right thing. I've been very impressed the more I've read with their technical documentation, uh, the more I've seen from people who are developing for it. I think it, it may actually become a developer favorite as it begins to bridge the gap between the current internet and the new blockchain because they just seem to be concentrating on making things really easy. Wow. Okay, Google. Remind me at 6 p.m. to buy NEM, not financial advice. Okay, do you want to save this? Yes. Okay, reminder saved. I love Google. So, privacy and security, how do we get off Google? <laughs> Day one of getting off Google, what was your, you know, obviously there's Drive and Calendar yep. and all those things yep. and G- Gmail. Yep. What's the first thing that our, one of our dear listeners could um, do to change? Um, change your search engine. Go on. <laughs> so, Google, apart from everything else, Google started as a search engine. That's still the main way they track you across the internet. Because, like, you don't think about it as much anymore because it's so natural, but everything we do on the internet tends to go through Google now. Mm -hmm. Like, if you want to go to a website, you don't spend the extra one second to type in .com or .io or whatever it's going to be. You just type what you remember into the the search bar and Mm -hmm. Google finds it for you and then you click on it. So that's and and then and then of course once you've typed it in the search bar, then it tracks you across that website and all sorts of different things go on behind the scenes that you don't see. So what I did, and I, look, I got to admit, it was only about a month ago. I should have done it a lot earlier, but Google was just so damn convenient. I changed to DuckDuckGo, mm-hmm. which is a search engine that's essentially their thing is that they value your privacy and security, mm-hmm. so they don't track you across the internet. They're they used to be a lot worse. They've gotten a lot better with their search algorithms. So, the last month or so, I've found that it actually works pretty well. There's only been a couple of times where I've been like, oh, I actually should, probably should go to Google to get exactly what I want. Um, they seem to be pretty accurate with their search results. And um, I've honestly, like, I've barely noticed that I've been off Google. I've just changed all my defaults in all my browsers to, to DuckDuckGo. Wow. And I guess the other thing to say is too, the other way to that you really should Google yourself is stop using their web browser. Mm. Interestingly, so the Google Chrome browser, they've got a bunch of developer tools there that you know you can see the code behind a web page, all these kinds of things. And mm. um, you can also measure how fast a page is loading and see which resources are being loaded in. A lot of cool nerdy stuff. Yeah. Interestingly, if you accepted the terms and conditions to send information to Google, every single web page on the internet that developer tool in the back end, which you don't always see, but you can show at a moment's notice by pressing F12 on your keyboard, um, that data from every single Chrome user who has accepted that is being used for to tell Google how fast each website is to load. And then Google then use that speed as one of the factors wow. in their search ranking algorithm. No, no one knows exactly how much, but I mean, it is a factor. Mm. And millions, hundreds of millions of people around the world are contributing without their knowledge because they click next and didn't uncheck a checkbox. Mm. They're contributing the speed data for the pages they visit. Yeah. Google are wow. outsourcing it all to the browsers. Wow. 
And, mate, you know, like, you know from personal experience just how much Google pulls in about all this stuff and about all we do, don't you? Because this is, this is kind of your world. You work in a lot of this stuff. Yeah, well, I guess, like, even uh, is, is for coming from an ad industry background, you see a lot of weird things. I mean, you can set up adverts. If you run a physical store with a bigger than 200 square meter location, you can actually track physical store visits as a result of your Google ads. Um, really? Yeah, I can say that one more time. You can track physical, um, like you can t- track physical walk-ins to your store as a result of Google ads because Google give that information. Now, if you, you've just got to be very careful if you're an Android user because the data that you give away, Google are using. You know when you turn up to a random place, if you've got Google location services switched on, which you, you may not, but a lot of people who are on Android do. If you go on Twitter, you'll see a lot of people being like, oh, Google's so creepy. You go to a restaurant, Google says, hey, you're at McDonald's. Lots of people take photos of this place. Uh, why don't you take a photo and rate it? Or, hey, tell other people how it was at this specific place. Mm. The worst thing is, half the time, they're telling me the place that's next door that I did not go to. Mm. So they're like, ah, this random, you know, dodgy shop. And I was just like, no, I did not go I'm into not that there. shop. I was at the pub next door, but this is now <laughs> creepy. But Google can track physical store visits. Facebook do the same. Wow. Um, so, I mean... I personally don't use Facebook and definitely don't have the app on my phone because that's just the beast. But, yeah, it's not great. Wow. Um, and, and that's just one tiny little thing. It's yep. just location. Yeah. Let's not even get into the other stuff. That's too creepy. Yep. So we probably can't, unless you're really, really dedicated, we probably can't get ourselves off everything. But mm. there are a few things that you can at least start to do. Uh, I'd recommend I, I'd recommend just going and checking out DuckDuckGo. Have you checked it out before, Joe? I've used it in the past, yeah. and I'm currently back on Google. But, I mean, um, DuckDuckGo is fantastic. Mm. I the- don't practice what I preach. <laughs> They've got a great team, too. Um, mm. I had an interaction with them on Twitter recently, and they're, they're really friendly. They're really dedicated to what they do. Um, and just go check it out. I mean, if it doesn't work for you, you can always go back to Google. But if it works for you, then it's just one less way that you're being tracked and one more way you can hold on to your data and keep that data uh, data um, valuable. Mm. And next time we might actually – next time we might talk about browsers and what the different options are mm. and, and mm-hmm. how you can use them to – to get a little bit more private because the browser is, I mean, for this crypto stuff as well, you know, now that we're using MetaMask and a lot of these other browser extensions, if you are hoping to stay a little bit private with your blockchain transactions, it, it, it is important to make sure that your your, your browser environment set up properly. Mm-hmm. If you know someone who might enjoy the podcast, please feel free to share it with your friends. Uh, you can find us at FOMO.show. And you can jump on our Slack at FOMO.show slash Slack. You can follow us on Twitter at the underscore FOMO underscore show. You can like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash the FOMO show. And you can find us at YouTube at FOMO.show slash YouTube. That's it for us here at the FOMO show. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like our show, please do subscribe in your podcast app of choice or via our YouTube channel. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember, we're the FOMO.
last we ever heard of Matt. Oh, mint slice. If you don't live in Australia, you are missing missing out on real biscuits. Um, I don't know about you, but from Britain, we have some very limited biscuits. I know we are a tea and biscuits country, but you need to come to Australia and sample the biscuits. I mean, they're technical biscuits with layers and things inside. So um, get on it. Come to Australia, eat our biscuits. I'm surprised you managed that with a biscuit in your mouth. Oh, that was very professional. It probably, like, sound, it probably sounds a little bit I could not even tell until you? you started crunching. I was like, whoa, bro. The chocolate was just like oh, gradually tasty. seeping oh, in my mouth. Tasty. So good. Um, what? Is that repeating what you were doing? No, I was just whistling. Oh, I swear I could hear two different whistles. Yeah, it was me. If okay. you put your tongue like above and then below the hole in your mouth, it's just like where you do it from the roof of your mouth and then just the regular whistle. Mate. Okay. All right. Um. I got to do my got to do my stretch. My voice stretches. Make sure I'm <laughs> a e r o u. Or not on the blockchain. <laughs> Don't you just love it and hate it at the same time? I do, man. I'm always in this battle. She was between. listening. Yeah, no, I'm always in this battle between like, oh, there's so much Mate, benefit. I've just gone all in. I'm like, yep, you can, you can read my... So Google now reads my browser history. So it doesn't matter if I'm on a VPN or not. Google, Google is watching my every move. Why? Because sometimes the best people to trust with your information... Uh, just the behemoths, you know. Oh man! Nah, it's terrible. And every like every other day, I said like I've actually switched it. I've I've switched this um, Google web and web app, web and app activity on and off maybe twenty times. No, more like ten times. Mm. Because you got Google Assistant, and I just said no, no, for so long because mm. it was it had a bunch of cool things that Google Assistant had. And then I was like, no, nah, this is sick. I don't yep. like you. Yep. And then I deactivated it. Yep. And then there was some other feature where it was like, oh, you've got to enable us viewing all your web and app activity to be able to label points on a map. You know, label that, you know, Matt's house, which I haven't done, don't worry. But um, it's still starred. Google knows. They already home. know it's your yeah, house. But it was like... Yeah, so I have to allow you to see all my browsing history in exchange for labeling points on a map. That was yesterday. Yeah. So I enabled it again. And, I, <laughs> and it was like that one tiny feature, labeling a map, mm. I've had to give away the most valuable information an advertising company could possibly have. This is why we can't have nice things, man. It sucks so bad. This is why we can't have nice things. I mean... The problem is to get off Google or to get off any of these is so hard. Like the effort you have to like own cloud, right? Or next cloud or whatever it's called. Yeah. For weeks I've been like, I'm gonna set myself up a next cloud. Yeah. I'm gonna run all my calendar through the next cloud. Yeah. I'm gonna, you know, have all my files in there because I'm like I'm a lot more Microsoft than I am Google a lot of the time because I've got like OneDrive and calendar and all that stuff. But to do that, I have to take like a proper day, I have to get my little Raspberry Pi to 
and like work out how to do it all on that. I'm going to make sure my internet's online all the time. Probably got to buy a new hard drive. And then like the setup for it, it's not easy. Like they, they say it's easy, but like they're like, oh, it's easy for like a developer who's been developing for five years and mm. knows their way around Linux. But like Microsoft, like OneDrive, and on the other hand, it's just there, syncs across all my devices. My calendar can pull in my work appointments as well as my own appointments because they're on Outlook too and... Like, I think this is what, like, Dr. Strangelove meant about <laughs> stopping worrying and just learning to love the bomb. Like, it's just... <laughs> that was such a great film. And if you haven't, if you haven't seen it, watch... Well, it's not... Do- it's, it, what is it? It's Dr. Strangelove or literally... Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. One of the called. best films yeah. I'd... Like, he's definitely got to be in my top. Top top twenty five films for mm. sure. Mm. Some of those scenes are just so fantastic. Yeah, but um, yeah, yeah. Especially like the US, like what was it the US launch uh, nuclear attack on the Soviet Union, mm. and they've cut off all communications after they send the message to bomb the Soviet Union, mm. and then they realise halfway through when the planes are over the Soviet Union, it was a mistake and we didn't mean to. Nothing they could do about it anyway. Yeah. Yep. Um, Long and short of it is, we are trusting these behemoths far too much with our private information. Yep. 